0: this kind of um, cool moment in Endgame. You guys seen Endgame? If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but you either got to do it by now or it's on you. So, like, hashtag spoiler alert, but there's this moment when um, Strange looks Iron Man in the eye right in the climax, and he's like, why, you know? That's like, there's one way, this is the way. And it's this really cool idea because it means, right, that throughout everything that happens, Strange knew that the path that they were on was the only path that was going to lead them to success. right? So everything that happened after this scene, like Thanos doing his little clicky thing, people turning into sawdust, all of this sort of stuff, the horrible back and forth, everything that happens throughout the entire Endgame movie, the, this like people jumping off cliffs and all sorts of stuff, there's like, it's a lot of horrible stuff. And yet, they all had to happen including this big five-year gap, in order for the one plan to come to fruition. All of that failure had to come in order to see success, right? It's just a nice, random, unrelated thought to anything that we're talking about, of course, in our series. So, let's get into it this morning. Um, if you have the Bible app on your phone, you will find it very helpful. Um, actually, I have a clicker, I will make click, there we go. So this is a digital outline, this is what we use to kind of show the passages of, of the Bible that we're looking at, a few reflection questions, there's a visual in there that's going to come up a little bit later on as well. All of this sort of stuff, there's even places you can kind of type some notes. So if you don't have it, you could just download the UVersion Bible app which also has the Bible, digital Bible, it's a really handy resource anyway reading plans and all that sort of stuff. And then you go to the menu, those three little bars, events, and find us Church Northwest, and then you'll be good as gold. If you need help, turn to someone beside you. They will um, sort you in the right direction. Or if they don't know, keep turning to the next person until you get it. All right, so we are in the book of Daniel, and we've been doing this series of plotting the course when life goes sideways. And we're in our last week this week. We have looked at, in the first week, we looked at this idea from Daniel, his example, because his life went sideways, as we know, uh, pretty catastrophically, and we, we looked at his example, his story, and we saw that first, we need to not give up on God. We need to keep trusting Him. He's not gone anywhere. He has not abandoned us. He's right there. Secondly, we looked at embracing the way of the exile, which means, again, trusting God's sovereignty and his control over a situation, making the best of what we've got, and serving um, the city, serving the, the people who may even be oppressing us. And then last week, which kind of uh, played into that a little bit as well, is embracing the partnership opportunities. We talked about seeing and being aware of the opportunities that God is opening up, even in the midst of our difficult situations, things that he is going to do, things he is planning to extend his kingdom. And our last week is uh, one more critical lesson that Daniel shows us or that God shows us through the life of Daniel. And that is this, to embrace the plan. Trust the plan. Now, if you've been in church uh, for any significant amount of time, uh, you would have probably come across Daniel before okay? Um, there's a lot of great stories in Daniel. You've got the Daniel in the lion's den, which we had a look at. Um, there's the blazing fiery furnace. There's, there's lots of really, really cool stuff in there, some iconic stories. So you probably dabbled a little bit there, especially if you're in Sunday school. However, there's a lot more to Daniel than just those stories. It's the other half of the book that I actually find really, really interesting, but a lot of people don't really tend to wander into. It's kind of like the the sort of sketchy neighborhood of the book of Daniel, where just stay away, we don't want to kind of go in there. But the other half of Daniel is a book of prophecies. It's dreams and it's visions about the future from his perspective, from Daniel's perspective, this future that is about to play out for him and for God's people. And it's, there's a lot of really important themes that come through these prophecies and some really interesting stuff and i wish i could unpack all of them because i love them they're just so amazing we're going to look at one but since the dreams and visions as you can imagine they get a little bit interesting they are not your normal so i mean you've got dreams of statues and meteors you've got dreams of trees which we talked about that one You've got beasts coming out of the ocean. There's this lion with an eagle's head and a leopard with four wings and this big iron giant thing. And it's like, this is crazy. There's one dream in particular about a ram and a goat. No, that's not quite right. Here we go. Yes, there we go. Uh, This big flying goat with a unicorn horn stabs and destroys this ram, which is just lovely for the kids. And so you've got this, this picture and then the horn breaks off and four horns pop out in the same space and they all kind of point in different directions and must have given them a headache. But then out of one of those horns, a little horn comes out and the little horn starts talking because, you know, that's normal and kind of grabs some stars and tramples on the stars and you're like, what the heck is going on? You know, it's, it's, it's weird, okay? There's a lot of weirdness. There's a lot of imagery right? It's, it's imagery, it's sort of fantastical language, and the idea is that there's meaning behind this, and it's kind of like a diamond mine. In fact, the whole Bible is like a diamond mine. You can walk along and you could probably pick up pretty good amount of diamonds just sitting on the ground, all right? They're, they're there, there's really good stuff in the Bible you can pick up nice and easily. But if you go digging, it takes a little more work, but there's a lot more treasure to be had under the ground, And the more you pull apart the Bible, the more there is. And there's just this wealth of treasure that you can do. But it takes a bit of work. It takes some deciphering, especially when you get to some of these passages. And that means it often ends up in the too hard basket for a lot of people. And I get that. Fair enough. But we're here, and you don't have a choice. So, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna look at one of these passages and we're gonna dive in a little bit. So, today, oftentimes I might kind of breathe, like sort of talk more generally over scripture passages. Today, we're gonna to get right into one, okay? So, buckle up. We're gonna look at chapter nine. And it starts off in chapter nine, not with a dream or a vision, but actually just with Daniel. And he's sitting there and he's praying. See, now Daniel, he's pushing about 85 years old in this particular chapter. He's done his dash. He's had a good, long, hard life. He's got his, you know, Persian gold card, and he gets discounts and rides the bus for free, and everything is fine. So he's kind of, but he doesn't get to retire. So he's still working for the king. The Persian retirement policy is work until you die or we kill you. So he's kind of, he's still working. In fact, this is the age at which he gets thrown in the lion's den. So picture that, okay? He gets thrown in the den, and, you know, he his dentures fall out, and the lines are like, I'm not touching that. So that, maybe that's part of the story. So, but he's, he's old, okay? And he's been a captive in Babylon for 65-odd for years. Okay, Think about that. That's more than most of us have been alive. He's been in this country serving foreign kings. And he starts reading the book of Jeremiah or the prophecy of Jeremiah. It wasn't a book in the Bible at that time, but it would have been a scroll that the prophet Jeremiah lived about the same time as he did. Um, was talking about some of the things that are going on. And it says in there that the captivity, the exile in Babylon, was supposed to be about 70 years. And Daniel starts kind of going, hang on a second, that's coming up. We're getting close to the anniversary here. So he gets on his knees and he prays. And he begs God to forgive his people and to restore them to Israel, that they would restore their glory because that's God's glory. They bear God's name, and so he wants them to restore him for God's sake. Anyway, before he's even done praying, God sends the angel Gabriel, his right-hand man, his number one angel dude, and he sends him down to talk to Daniel. And this is what happens. Daniel says, he, being Gabriel, explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I'm here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. And I actually really like this passage because this message to Daniel is basically God's message to us. The book of Daniel, and in fact, the Bible as a whole, is a gift to us to give us insight and understanding because... We are very precious to Him. We are precious to God. He wants us to understand what's about to happen. He did not have to give us a Bible. He did not have to give us any instructions. He did not have to give us any real book to understand who He was. But He did because we're precious to Him. So, let's listen carefully, both today and in general, to the words that God gives us. Listen carefully to His words so that we will understand the meaning of what God is telling us. All right, we got that? Good, because what follows is possibly one of the most confusing passages in the whole Bible. You're welcome, guys. Newbies, aren't you glad you chose today to come and visit us? (laughs) Okay, so there is this prophecy that Daniel gets is, even, even the top scholars disagree about parts of this thing. So for this reason, I'm going to do a little switcheroo. And normally I read from this Bible, the New Living Translation, and I'm going to switch over here to the New American Standard Bible, the NASB. Now, many of you will understand the different translations of the Bible, that there's there's different English translations. It's not just English. There's many different types. Some of you are like NLT and ESB, and I'm what's going on here? Like this is this is crazy as weird. Okay, so what I've done is in the Bible app, I've put a link to a video by the Bible Project. It's a quick one-minute sort of explanation of different types of translations. Okay, so you can choose, you can go onto YouTube, Google that, have a look. That'll hopefully clear some things up. But for the sake of this morning, there are some English translations that try to make the bible readable as readable as possible okay so that's ones like the new living that's what i usually preach from because it's a pretty easy read we kind of understand what's going on then there are some like this one that try to be more accurate to the original text okay because it's all written in aramaic and greek and hebrew and we don't speak any of those languages so we've got to try and do some translation into english it's never perfect but this one tries to be more accurate and it might be a little harder to read. This one tries to be easier to read, and it may be a little less accurate. Okay, Not a huge difference between the two, but when it comes to studying and to getting nitty-gritty, maybe time to open up one like this. Make sense? We good? We're tracking so far? <laughs> okay, good. All right, so this passage is going to be out of the NASB. This is what the prophecy is. God says, "...seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city." To finish the wrongdoing, to make an end of sin, to make an atonement for guilt, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and understand that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with streets and moat, even in times of distress. After the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will confirm a covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abomination will come the one who makes desolate until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, gushes forth on the one who makes desolate. Got that? We're all good. We're all tracking. Everyone understands completely what's going on, right? Yes? No? Okay, well, maybe let's unpack it a little bit. (laughs) Let's dig in. Okay. The first thing that we see in verse 24 is the scope of this prophecy, what this is about. What is happening? What is the stakes? We're going to, this is for God's people and the holy city, which represents God's people to finish wrongdoing, make an end to sin, so no more sin, to make atonement for guilt, to forgive and to restore the relationship to God, to bring an everlasting righteousness, which again reconnect humanity to God, to seal our vision and prophecy, no more need for this type of stuff, and to anoint the most holy place or some translations, the most holy person. Okay, so this person is going to be set Well, this place is going to be set, okay? So we're not talking about... This is interesting because Daniel prayed and he said, Restore Israel, bring us back from Babylon, right? That's what he wanted. God's like, I'll do you one better. Not only am I going to bring you back, but I'm going to end sin completely. I'm going to end the problem that caused the exile. And I'm going to restore not just Israel, but I'm going to restore the Garden of Eden. Sorry. Sorry. I'm going to restore the Garden of Eden. I'm going to restore everything that has gone wrong by anointing the most holy person, which would be, anyone? Jesus, good, we're tracking, good. Or the most holy place, which would be Jerusalem, which would represent God's people. I don't think those two really can be pulled apart too much. So they're fairly interchangeable. We're talking about making things right. This is the scope of everything what does 70 weeks mean? We're not talking about 490 days, okay? In prophecy, sometimes 70 weeks would mean 70 weeks of years, okay? So we're talking about 490 years. That's where things get interesting, okay? Because when we start breaking it down, we get a chart. From the decree Hey, eh? eh, got a little pointer. From the decree here to Jerusalem being built as one lot of seven weeks. Remember, he said there'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay? And then there'll be 62 weeks until the Messiah, the anointed one, and there'll be another week and the end of sin. Okay? So, here's the interesting thing. We know from Ezra chapter 7 that there was a decree sent out to return exiles back to. Israel that happened in 458 BC okay so we've got a starting point this is great guess what happens one week of years 49 years after that this is from history we know that the temple in the Jerusalem was finished now bear in mind all of this has been predicted long before any of this has happened okay this is all God saying this is about what's about to happen and it happens now, 62 weeks after that, which is, let me check my math, 434 years after 409 B.C. Anyone want to take a guess? 26 A.D. Now, it would be nice if it was zero, right? Like Jesus was born, right? Jesus wasn't born at zero. We got that one wrong. Jesus was actually born 4 B.C., okay? So Jesus was born before Christ, but whatever, so Jesus is born four BC, which means Jesus would be 30 years old at the end of this prophecy, when he does what? He gets baptized, God says, "This is my son who I'm well pr- proud of. Listen to him." All right. And he takes on the mantle of being the Messiah. Sixty-two weeks and seven weeks exactly after the decree, Jesus turns up. This is very interesting. Daniel has been given an accurate to the year plan of what's going to happen between when he gets his prayer answered and when we get our prayer truly answered when Jesus comes. Okay. Uh, now, after that, verse 26 um, says what happens after the 62 weeks, okay? In an indeterminate amount of time afterwards, some things are going to happen. The Messiah is going to cut off and have nothing. Did he? Yes, he died. He had nothing. He was stripped of everything in order to save us from our sins. And the people of the prince who is to come destroy the city and the sanctuary and will come with a flood. Even to the end, there'll be war. Desolations are determined. It's pretty bad stuff. Common language within prophecy of something really horrible happening. Well, sometime after Jesus, something really horrible happened to the holy city. In AD 70, the Romans got tired of the Jews, came in and leveled Jerusalem leveled the temple, and the temple has never been built again since. Okay, so that could be what this is talking about here. I'm not going to stake my flag in that. Some people say this is something else, that's fine, but this kind of makes sense with the language that after the Messiah comes, he is going to be cut off, bad things are going to happen. Okay, which is important because in all of the prophecies that Daniel has given. It's never a bed of roses. There's a sense of this is going to happen and during this time, bad things will happen. That's very important for us. But then, we get to the last week and that's where things kind of go a little haywire. Um, Nope, okay. So in verse 27, there's, he will uh, confirm a covenant with the many for one week. So we're talking about the last week of the prophecy and this is where, we kind of go in two different directions. And it all comes down to who we mean by he will confirm a covenant, okay? Let me give you the first option. The first is the he is referring to the prince from the previous verse, which is a common prophecy allusion to an antichrist or a figure that is set up against God, this big figure that's coming sometime in the future. So the last week in this, in this theory is completely separate from the other 69 weeks, right? So we had Jesus, he's at the end of the 69 weeks, and then we have this big gap, which we're living in right now, and then sometime in the future, this, this last seven-year gap will happen, and there will be a, um, an Antichrist that rises up, and then all sorts of weird stuff will happen, and then Jesus will come again, right? This is a fairly common sort of theory, and it plays into Revelation as well, that there's a lot of stuff happening about Antichrists and demons and dragons and who for what there's all sorts of weird stuff happening another theory is that the last week happens directly after this the he who confirms confirms a covenant is actually the messiah confirms a covenant halfway through those three and a half years the um the sacrifices are stopped which would be the cross where jesus dies no more sacrifice needed and then we have this odd three and a half years afterwards what happens in three and a half years Well, we get to a point where Stephen is stoned, where um, the first of the Gentiles are converted. So the first non-Jews are converted. And so you can look at that and say, okay, here's what God did. He confirmed a covenant. He said, I'm going to make a covenant with you Jews. For seven years, you are going to get the very best of Jesus. You are going to get the promised Messiah. I'm going to bring him to you for three and a half years. I'm going to quit sacrifices. And then I'm going to give you three and a half years of solid ministry by the church to the Jews. Because you are the first fruits. You are the first chosen ones of God. After that time, I'm now going to spread it out to the rest of the world. And that's what happens when Stephen is killed. There is this dispersal of Christians throughout the rest of the world. And suddenly the rest of the world comes in. So, okay. That's a whole lot of information, right? Why am I telling you all of this? Firstly, I wanted to show you the different um, theories here because scholars will disagree about some things in the Bible. We need to know this. We need to not be afraid of this. That when one scholar says, no, this means this, and another scholar says, no, this means this, and we sit in the middle and we go, I don't know what to believe. They're both smarter than me, but I have no idea. But what remains and what is agreed upon is the key unifying theory, the message behind this prophecy. We may not know the particulars about the last week, but let me tell you what we do know. We're all in agreement, mostly, that for 69 weeks, for 483 years, from the exile, there's Jesus. He turns up exactly when he said he was going to turn up. A lot of bad stuff happened between those two moments. And it may have seemed like all was lost. We're going back to Endgame movie now, right? It may have seemed like uh, so many horrible things, this could not be success. This is utter, total failure. And then Jesus says, Nope, I am here exactly when I say I'm going to be here. And I'm here to fix it. And whether the one week is at the end of time, or it has already happened, there is a promise that there will be an end to sin. No more disconnection between God and man. And that both has been fulfilled and will be completely fulfilled when he comes back. That is agreed upon. That is the message, and that we can rely on. Okay? Okay. So... What has God shown us? God has shown us that he has a plan. He has a plan. When the things were at their worst, God showed up and he said, Don't worry. I know what's happening. I can tell you exactly what's about to happen. Read the last half of the book of Daniel. It's all accurate, sometimes down to incredible detail. He says, I know what's going to happen. It's going to be bad for you. You're going to suffer. You're going to hurt. But you are never going to step outside of my control. You are never going to step outside of my plan, and you are never going to step outside of hope because I know what's coming, and I know what I'm about to to do we get the book of he got the book of daniel to show that as the people went through those horrible times they could rest on that promise we get that book of daniel to show that god proved himself right because he turned up exactly when he said he was going to turn up right so what does that mean for us it means no matter how hard life gets no matter how bad things get no matter how horrible people are to us, no matter what situations we find ourselves in, embrace the plan. Trust the plan. Because the plan is good and it's going to work. Now, what's our plan? Daniel's plan's kind of done, unless you believe that there's more of that to come. We don't get a specific roadmap like Daniel get, did. I'm kind of jealous because it would be nice if we could map out the times and dates, but even Jesus said, he's like, even I don't know the time. All right, I did not get clued in when I took on this Messiah gig. You know, When I get back to heaven, we'll chat, and I'll get to know, but right now, I don't know. So I'm not telling you when it's happening because I don't know. Right? We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know the number of years. We don't know the exact steps that are going to happen between now and then. But that doesn't mean we have no plan or no picture of the plan. For us, it comes in the book, of Revelation. Now you want to get weird. There's some weird stuff in Revelation. All right. And I would love to unpack that with you sometime because I love Revelation. And I actually think it's simpler than most people make it out to be. However, regardless of the details in Revelation, the message that is unified and agreed upon is simple. God wins. There's going to be a lot of seeming failure between now and when God comes back. But when he comes back, he wins and he will come back. It has been written. Will not be taken back. We win. So kiakaha, hold strong. Trust the plan. Listen to this. Listen to what we have in front of us. I heard a loud shout. This is John seeing the vision of what's going to come. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Notice it's repeated for emphasis. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying, or pain, or taxes, or COVID. All these things are gone forever. That's our future. That's our hope. Look, I know we face difficulties in our lives. We don't always know or understand why things are happening to us. I don't have answers for why they're happening. I don't get a behind-the-scenes look at the plan. Sorry, wish I could. And I don't want to diminish the emotions that come with the difficult situations that you have. There is true fear, anxiety, pain, anguish. I feel some of that stuff sometimes. And I don't want to just give you platitudes. I know you're good here. I get that. But here's what I want to pray. I pray that you would see the life of Daniel And you would see that even on the darkest paths we find ourselves walking down, if we stick close to Jesus, there are opportunities for victory and for power. There is an unshakable, unmovable plan in place. A plan far wider than the scope of our lives and far longer than the scope of our lives. It is a plan conceived and driven by the God who created the universe by talking. And it is a plan that leads us unswervingly towards an eternal future of peace, hope, love, victory. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I'll not be afraid you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Embrace the plan. Trust the plan. Let me pray. God, we are just so thankful that you are totally in control here. Thank you for giving us the book of Daniel to show us how in control you really are. We look between the Old Testament and the New Testament and there seems to be this great big nothing. There's no words from you. There's no Bible books. There's, there's nothing. For 400 years, your people had no words from you. And yet, they had Daniel. They had the plan written out for them, laid out year by year until you arrived right on schedule. Help us to trust that you will arrive right on schedule. We are forever protected by being in your family, if we are, in fact, in your family. And we just, we're just just so thankful for that. Help us as we live amongst people in this world that we would usher people into your family so they can have the hope that comes from your plan. And when life goes sideways, Lord, help us to trust that you've got all of this in hand and the plan will go on as expected. It's in your name we pray. Amen.